crazy. I can't believe they're doing that. I can't believe they're behaving that way. Don't they know? Haven't they read? Don't they understand? Why would they still, even after two or three days and explanations on the news that you don't need to hoard this or hoard that, why would they still go get it? And I think the same thing. The difference, of course, is that their crazy is just a little bit different than my crazy. My crazy shows up in a very unique way. I mean, I'm not going to share it with you, but I'm sure you could share it with your loved ones, and they see it, and you could describe it and pinpoint it, and then they would say, yeah, I've seen your crazy, and this is what it looks like. God sees it all, and he doesn't call it crazy. In fact, he made their hearts, so he understands everything they do. I, mean, I guess what I want you to know as we get into this little bit of teaching today we're gathered, a few of us here in the room and most of us online, I guess I would want you to understand and know this, that your fear is normal. Your fear is normal. Of course it's normal. Over the last week, I've read all kinds of posts and heard all kinds of uh, video clips from various pastors and, and teachers on the web and on, on YouTube and on Facebook. And this is what I thought, if one more person tells me, do not fear, I'm going to lose my mind. It seems like that is the only message that is repeated. Do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. And I understand it. I know that the Bible speaks to fear a lot, but it feels like to me that the message of do not fear is at best incomplete and at worst damaging and harmful all by itself. I mean, you know the stats and you've probably heard it repeated this week on social media that the Bible says do not fear 365 times one for every day. And of course, when I read that, when I hear that taught, I have one very simple thought, especially this year. It's a leap year. So I guess we're one do not fear short. I guess there's one day when we get to be crippled in anxiety. It's just not enough. You need to know this, that if you've been watching the headlines, if you've been paying attention to the charts and the graphs, and you're watching the upslope of not just those who are sick, or identify the sick, but those who are dying across the world. Your fear is normal. We're experiencing things that our generation has never experienced before. And what we're experiencing now will stand out in history as a very unique moment in time. And the idea to simply say, look, just don't be afraid, it feels like too simplistic of an answer for a problem that is very complex. And so your fear is normal. So we have to start there. I think it's an important place to start, and it's a baseline for all of us. If that's true, if your fear is normal, then you've experienced it over the last week. And when you experienced it, usually fear just begins to show up as a feeling. And this feeling that you have sneaks up on you. You read a news article, you hear a story, you pay attention to something that's occurring, something else is closed, something else is canceled. And when this occurs, fear just begins to sneak in as a feeling. You don't even plan on it. It just sort of starts in your gut and rises. It maybe deepens, but it worsens over time. Maybe you checked your retirement accounts, whatever it was, and fear just begins to take root. And when it does, this feeling begins to grow. And when this feeling grows, it usually takes the steering wheel and it drives. And when fear drives, you begin to lose control. Your mind checks out and your heart is in charge, and your emotions are reigning. And when this happens, you need to know that's very normal, but you can't stop there. It's true. Fear is a, a feeling. 
But fear isn't only a feeling. Fear is also a choice. I know it doesn't feel like it at times. It feels like fear is the only option, but it's not. Fear is always a choice. You and I, we have been made in the image of God. And what that means is that we have been given the endowment or the gift of volition. In other words, the ability for us to make a decision, I'll say it a different way, our ability to choose our response in any given set of circumstances. That's why you watch somebody respond in a certain way and you think, well, that doesn't make any sense because they see things differently than you do. And so they make a different choice. You get to make a choice as well. And if it's true that fear is a feeling and it sneaks up on us and maybe finds us feeling fearful and controlled by fear, it's also true that fear is a choice. And it's the gift of choice. And it's the endowment, this gift of volition that we have. And so if this is true and if fear has taken up residence in your life this week, or maybe it's something else, maybe it has nothing to do with the current circumstances in our culture, then we need to take it apart a bit. And we can't really understand it unless we take it apart. And so let's start with this, this simple question. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? When fear has snuck in this week, what has caused the fear for you? Name it. Describe it. Give it context. This is important to start with. If you start with do not fear, then you take your fear and you bury it underground and you pretend like it isn't there. And your only, of course, response is when fear sneaks up to just smack it back down. But fear is always going to come back unless you start here. If you don't start here, you have no place to go with your fear and you have no solution. If you can begin to at least describe it, name it, face it, admit it, and understand it, then you can begin but you have to start there. So what is it that you're afraid of? This should be a topic among your families. It should be a topic among the people that you care about and love about. It should be the people that you are with, the journals that you keep, however it is that you process your thoughts internally or externally, this ought to be a question you wrestle with, especially as you deal with the presence of fear in your life. If you don't, then fear will remain an elusive mist. And you'll try to grab it, you'll try to contain it, you'll try to control it, and it will just simply control you because it's an emotion that you've not put any handles on. So what are you afraid of? You checked your retirement account and you're afraid that the bottom has fallen out and it will never return? Name it. You're afraid for your elderly parents, and so everything in your mind, in your heart, is just concerned about this contagion and who it might impact and who is at risk, your kids who are not getting to experience maybe the last month of their senior year, things are not happening in their life, sports, you name it, scholarships are riding on all of this, name your fear, describe it, and go to the end of the road with your fear. Now, you already know how important this is. If you showed up at any doctor's office and he said, great to see you, my name's Dr. Vaughn, of course it's not. Your name is, and I've got a prescription for you. And of course, your immediate response would be, look, I don't know much about being a doctor, but here's what I know, is that your job is first to diagnose. Anybody that would prescribe before diagnosing has it backwards. And so you have to do the same for yourself. So what are you afraid of? Write it down. Speak it out loud. 
Now, here's what you're tempted to believe, that when you do this, it gives your fear more power, and it doesn't. The opposite is true. Back in October, when I was diagnosed with uh, cancer, small fears began to sneak in. Of course, my initial thoughts were, were positive and, and good. This is, this is, we've caught this early. This is simple. We've got this. But then, of, of course, as nature takes its course, fear begins to sneak in. And I begin to imagine a future that is bleak. I begin to imagine a future that is not what I had imagined the day before I found out about the diagnosis. And at one point, Donna says to me, quietness, very sacred moment, what are you afraid of? And of course, my initial response was defensive and aggressive. I've got cancer. What do you think I'm afraid of? And then she says, tell me, what are you afraid of? And so I began to give detail and words to my fears. And as I did this, the fears began to melt away. Not completely. They didn't disappear, but they lost their power. They lost their strength. This is the beginning of learning how to deal with your fear. The idea of saying to somebody who is deathly afraid and fears a future that's uncertain, possibly bleak, maybe fatal. The idea of saying to this person, do not fear. Well, it's the same thing that Jesus heard in his day, physician, heal thyself. It's unhelpful. It's detrimental. And it leaves you crippled with fear. And so this is the beginning if that's the first step, then the second step is even more important. Start here and then take the next step, which is this. We can, if we want to, if we desire, if we begin to engage in Scripture in a different and thoughtful way, we can learn to replace fear with truth. If you try not to fear, it'll last about three minutes. It works. Shove it down, but it's going to come back. Fear rushes in to the void that you created. When you shove fear aside, it creates a void in your heart. Fear will rush back in, and your imagination will get the worst of you. But the path towards trust and peace and hope begins with this. We can learn to replace fear with truth. In fact, really a better way to say it is give your mind that tips towards fear, same for all of us, something to consider and ponder, something to ruminate on. And then you'll begin to see the peace that Jesus describes in the book of John. Then it will begin to take root in your life. So all of these places in Scripture that say do not fear, here are a few examples. And let me help you understand why replacing fear with truth isn't just my idea, isn't just something we pull out of a psychology book. It is key and it's true, and it comes from really a foundation of almost every scripture that mentions fear. You can search some on your own. Here are a few examples that will get you started. The prophet Isaiah, at one point, God says through the prophet Isaiah, for I hold you by your right hand, I, the Lord your God, and I say to you, and here it is, do not be afraid. This is what God says through the prophet Isaiah to his people, and he says it to me, and he says it to you as well do not fear, but there's more than that. Do not be afraid. But then he also says this, the rest of the verse, I am here to what? Help you. That's right. I I know that can seem simple, but for most of us, God seems distant. 
He seems far off. He seems cosmic. I mean, let's be honest, he's all-powerful. He's everywhere at the same time, and he can seem like he is not involved in the details of your daily life. And yet the prophet Isaiah quotes God, speaks the words of God by saying, don't be afraid, I'm here to help you. When you're faced with the unknown, God is there to help, not just to watch and not just to allow things to occur to you. God is fully present and he is there to help you. Have you ever felt like you're stuck and you have no idea where to turn and all of a sudden you'll remember, oh, I can call so-and-so. Maybe if I take this path, maybe if I go this direction, a solution occurs to you that had never, ever been a part of your framework. And this is God working through his spirit saying, I'm here to help you. You're fearful of your future, that your retirement is evaporated in front of you. God says, I am here to help you, and so I will provide. He lends his creativity. He lends his resources. He lends his power. God is not just the creator that stands distant. He is with you and here to help you. And of course, like all helpers, like anyone who comes alongside you and offers help, the help has to be received. You have to take it. You have to lean into it, and you have to trust it. And so you can't just say, I won't be afraid. God is here to help you. How? Practically, actually, specifically, this is how God helps. And he does so time and time again in every story in Scripture. It's a truth that you can lean on. Just a couple chapters later, Isaiah 43. Here's another example for you. Back it up. There you go. Do not fear, he says. For, and so in almost all of the scriptures that address fear, you will see a for, or you will see a because, or you'll see some word that transitions to this command to not be afraid, but then there's something that is connected to it. If you're going to replace fear with truth, capital T truth, that is true for all people, all times and all places, then you have to know what that truth is, and it's there every time. So do not fear. Why? Why should I not fear? Why should you not fear? Why should you not be afraid? Well, through the prophet Isaiah, God says, for I have redeemed you. In other words, you belong to me. You are mine. I will take care of you. I have redeemed you. Do not fear. This is the reason. And so if you're dealing with fear, now you have a couple of ideas that will help you understand what it means to not just not fear, but replace fear with truth. Otherwise, fear will, fear will rush into that void and you'll find yourself paralyzed again. Now, one of the best places to find these truths, capital T truths, that you can replace fear with is in the Psalms. David writes about it often. The other psalmists write about it often. They write about it because they're poets and in poetry, we find that emotions reign, and fear is one of them that reigns in the Psalms. And as a result, there are all kinds of solutions written over and over and over again about how to deal with fear, the capital T truth that can replace fear. Here's what it says, Psalm 56. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. David writes this, 
And when he writes this psalm, he is on the run. He's, he's not yet fully king over all of Israel. And he finds himself in a, in a town that's not very pleased with him. They're uh, beginning to figure out who he is, and they are turning aggressive towards him. And he creates some interesting tactics to get loose. And when he does, he says this, but when I am afraid, which tells you what? That David was a man after God's own heart, and he was afraid. Your fear is normal. And when you accept that as normal and you move on from there, then you can replace it with this truth. One of the only things that will begin to mitigate or maybe eventually make your fear just a little bit less, never be eliminated this side of heaven, I don't believe, is trust. Trust. David, a man after God's own heart, experienced fear. His solution was to believe and trust that God would deliver him or that God would take care of him. And so this is your role. Lord, I have no idea what the future holds, but I've been in tight spots before, and so I trust you. And I want to believe it's going to work out the way I want, but many things in my life have not worked out the way that I want, and yet you have still taken care of me. So I trust you. I trust that you know the path I should take. I trust that you will guide me, that you will lead me. I trust that even if life gets incredibly difficult, maybe even unbearable, that you are trustworthy, God. And so I trust you. That is what replaces fear. And then he goes on to say this in the same psalm. I praise God for what he has promised. And this is important. God makes all kinds of promises in Scripture. Knowing the difference between what you want and what God has promised will be key to you allowing fear to be set aside. How did David know what God had promised? Well, David later will write, I have hidden your word in my heart. In other words, I'm familiar with your promises. I know what they are. One of the most important things you can do during a season like this is to lean on the promises that God has made, not just the individuals in Scripture like Moses or Elijah or whoever it is that you're reading about, but universal promises that are true all throughout Scripture. And when you begin to do that, you can lean on His promises and trust Him. So he says, I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? Why would I let fear take root? What can mere mortals do to me? Well, you could answer that question, couldn't you? What could mere mortals do to David? Quite a lot. They could hurt him physically. They could batter him emotionally. All the things that mere mortals have done to you. And yet David knows that his life isn't all that he can see and experience and feel, that his life is beyond that. And so if that's true, he says, why should I be afraid? I've hidden your word in my heart. Not just I wouldn't sin against you. According to this psalm, I know your promises. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? Then probably the most familiar psalm to all of us would be the 23rd psalm. Even in the middle of this psalm, David gives us some understanding of what it means to replace fear with truth. In fact, what he says in this psalm is probably most applicable to what we're experiencing as a country right now for all the things that we fear. Here's what he says in the beginning of verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no harm. Some translations say evil. Probably the best Hebrew translation is that word harm. 
I fear no harm. And that doesn't mean that harm won't come to me. It doesn't mean that I won't struggle. It doesn't mean that I won't find myself in a place where something could be harmful. What it means is, is that I will fear no harm. Why? There's a for, there's a because, there's a reason why you should fear no harm. And it's very simple. And you might overlook it. And in the midst of you feeling pressure, fear, and impending bleak future, your imagination has run away with, you will miss the most important piece of the entire scriptural story. God says, I am with you. When Jesus comes, Emmanuel, he says, I'm drawing near to you. I'm with you. My presence, I'm here. For you are with me. And because of this, David can set fear aside. And if you notice through the Psalms, fear returns in David's life over and over and over again. The scriptures don't call what Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane fear with that name, but I can't imagine that it was anything other than that when he asked that God would take the cup from him. Jesus' humanity is on full display in the Garden. Of course it's fear. Of course what you're experiencing as you ponder the health of the people that you love, your own health, your future financially, and even your immediate life being changed and upended in a thousand different ways, of course fear will take residence. Whether or not you give it root will have everything to do with whether or not you're willing to do two specific things. One, name it. What are you afraid of? Name it, write it down, discuss it. It will not give it power. It does not make it grow. It actually dismantles it before your very eyes. But then you can't stop there. You have to learn how to replace fear with truth so that when your heart is fearful, you can then return to these truths. Lord, I'm afraid, but you are with me. Lord, I'm fearful, but I trust you. Lord, I don't know where to turn, but I will turn to you. So we guide you through a prayer. We'll put these two things into practice. Bow with me. Lord, we pray right now and we ask that you would allow your presence to fill not just this place where we have a few gathered, but the homes that are listening online and those that are all present. In fact, all those that are gathering online in a church that is dispersed throughout our country. Lord, we believe that you will strengthen the body of Christ even though we find ourselves in different places. We believe that the body of Christ is not bound by geography or physical closeness, but that your spirit will unite us and bring us together in powerful ways. And so, Lord, we ask that as we venture into this courageous step of naming our fears and believing and understanding that talking about them won't make them grow, it actually diminishes them. Saying them out loud does not give them power. Help us to be emotionally healthy enough to acknowledge what's happening deep within us. And Lord, for us, that may take a thoughtful reflection. It may take time. It may take conversations that we're not used to. It may take venturing into subjects that we would just soon keep to ourselves. Lord, we believe that all things that are unhelpful for, for us, they grow stronger in the dark. So help us to bring it into the light. And then, Lord, give us the courage to open up your word and replace fear with truth. 
truth that extends beyond our current circumstances that was true for the people who dealt with the flu back in the early 1900s. All kinds of calamities and difficulties that people, mankind, have faced throughout the centuries. This truth was true for them. It's true for David. It's true for Moses. It's true for Jesus and Paul. And it's true for us. And so we believe that you are with us. We believe that you are our helper, that you are omnipotent and omniscient, and that you are able to do all things, but that you will help us. And we're humbled by this truth. And so, Lord, now we lift these lyrics to you, believing that you will be with us on the mountaintop and in the valley. And we pray that as you walk with us in the weeks to come, as we face an uncertain future, that we will understand that our fear is really quite normal, but help us to turn to you as a source of trust and hope. And as we do that, Lord, walk with us. Help us to be aware of your presence because we believe that you are right beside us. Lord, we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. And we say together, amen.